You're listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m., and up next is Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule learned in school get your money every friday happy endings are the rule so divide up those in darkness from the ones who This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. I was just listening to the last show. I love it. I love that book, The Blank Slate. <laughs> yes. Uh, on which each one of us is writ large personally. I go back to the first folks, you know, early mankind. Oops, oops, early humankind. We've got to be PC, politically correct. PC at my house means portion control. Oh dear, I. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's been a rough week. I discovered that, yes, I discovered that um, my ankle is not sprained, it's broken. So it's made me goofy because I was fortunate I got some um, pills. So today I'm giddy. Actually, yes, when I wrote my book on men and women, yes. <laughs> On, uh, yes, I found it was not a blank slate. I figure if you go back far enough in our human history, we discover that um, women learned from the plants and men learned from the animals, which is why uh, women sit down and men stand up. And other nonsense like that there. <laughs> anyway, today is June the 12th, 2012. And it's Gay Liberation Month. I am one of those who has some second thoughts on the subject. Or anyway, uh, I have kind of a split. Uh, split. Well, I, let, let's say that I'm not sure about assimilation, which seems to be very popular. I hear it on the radio. Uh, that is the LGBT agenda sometimes seems to be encouraging young people to take part in institutions like the military. Not my kind of thing. However, the issue, the point is choice. Free choice for everyone, civil rights means to each her own or his own, as the case may be. My own vision of gay liberation is the vision I have for all of us human beings, all sentient creatures. Well, actually, 
for humans. The special thing about us is our creative life, our language we speak, we talk. In my uh, lexicon, gay history is the history of art itself, of creativity, the first artist slash priest. Oops, priestess. No, we don't say priestess. It's like actor. Now, everybody's an actor. Get rid of all that. Ism and is, yes, uh, no prophetesses, no loveresses, no poetesses. Uh, humans are androgynous all the way back to the caves. My mythos goes back, 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 uh, well, all the way to the mothers, those incredible women who did those cave paintings in France, do you have an image of those women? Uh, oh, yes. I I think what I'll do today is I'll narrow it down. You know how it is. You have to narrow things down till they mean something. I'll just talk about two of my own gay saints. Uh, literary lions. Oscar Wilde and Gertrude Stein. That's the thing to do. Uh, I think of them as my... Literary mentors, my, uh, uh, not predecessors, my, my, my dear teachers, uh, I'm going to save Oscar for next week because the story of Oscar Wilde had a somewhat tragic end. The work was not tragic, but, uh, his life, his biography had a tragic end. There's a nice film, uh, not altogether satisfactory, but of great interest. Uh, I think it was just called Wild, right? Made a few years ago, all about that sweet soul, the gentle Oscar Wilde. He did not take the advice of his friends. He should have caught that last ship to Paris before his trial. You remember, he went on trial, and his... Uh, couple years in prison pretty much finished him, got an ear infection that dogged him to his death, but uh, there was a political uh, coup going on in London at the time, and uh, uh, most of his gay friends had split for Paris, uh, and they advised him to do the same, but he had all that Irish angst, he got it from his mom, you know. Maybe the generation, his generation, needed a martyr. Oscar died at the turn of the last century, right along with Queen Victoria, his death. Anyway, his family suffered terribly. His sons had to change their name. Their name became Holland, the mother's maiden name. Anyway, today, let's just look at Gertrude Stein. Ladies first, ladies first. <laughs> Does that apply? to gay saints. Anyway, I think that, uh, yes, Gertrude Stein was upbeat. She was one of those incredible women who did not go in for uh, masochism. Uh, she was not into suffering, even for love. Her choices were always in the pursuit of happiness, Thomas Jefferson would have been proud. She was a proud American. Uh, 
what was it Gertrude said when uh, she quit medical school. She didn't want to be uh, a doctor. She didn't want to take her final exams. Her friend says, said, oh, but Gertrude, what about the cause of women? <laughs> she said, you do not know what it is to be bored. And so, unlike Oscar Wilde, she did flee to Paris. She didn't want to get shot down in Baltimore. Uh, I had uh, a lot of fun with Gertrude when I was getting my master's in creative writing. <laughs> I remember some of my major authors, uh, people like uh, Edna St. Vincent Millay, and my teachers were upset. They didn't see how I could put Gertrude Stein in the same in in the same uh, thesis with with uh, Edna St. Vincent Millay and. I said, I liked the contrasts. Besides, they were both powerful creatures, both powerful women. Let me see. Uh, Gertrude writes here, I love this. Uh, yes, she had that conviction that her own mind was worth her undivided attention. Like the central character Sula in Toni Morrison's masterpiece, Sula, she thought that her own mind, right, was the place to live. She wrote, In my generation, I am the only one. I had a family. They can be a nuisance in identity. But there is no doubt, no shadow of doubt, that that identity, the family identity, we can do without. <laughs> oh, yes, Gertrude and Oscar, uh, they both declared themselves celebrities. I think they were somewhat theatrical and grandiose, perhaps because they were gay in a world where that was, well, uh, kind of an issue back in the early 20th century. Uh, you remember... Uh, Oscar said when he arrived on the boat from England, he said he had nothing to declare but his genius. Gertrude Stein was today what we would call a media event as well. She was a star. Ah, a pioneer. People kept asking her why she didn't write the way she talked. She explained that though she loved to talk, and though she talked most of the time, talking has nothing to do with creation. She explained that you are not the you your little dog knows when you are creating anything. She lectured about the problem of the subject of things, saying that everyone already knows all about this subject of, oh, say, Hamlet, about the psychology of it. She insists that any woman in any village can tell you all about psychology. No, she said, psychology does not make masterpieces. Uh, I love that stuff she wrote about psychology. She, I think, said, what was it, that uh, in the 20th century, psychology, uh, that's what it was that had replaced the novel, 
right. Before that, you had to read novels to figure out why we behave the way we do. Um, she had this terrific lecture called What Are Masterpieces and Why Are There So Few of Them? She wrote that in 1936, and she delivered that lecture at Oxford and Cambridge. My favorite paragraph, here it is. If there was no identity, no one could be governed. But everyone is governed by everybody. And that is why they make no masterpieces. And also why governing has nothing to do with masterpieces. And that is why governing is occupying, but not interesting. Governments are occupying, but not interesting, because masterpieces is exactly what they are not. That's an end of Gertrude's paragraph and... Jennifer Stone goes on in this essay to say, finally, it is Gertrude Stein's style that makes the masterpiece. <laughs> Footnote here on my own work. So too with Shakespeare. It's the language, folks. It's the way they do it, not what they do. Okay. What do we used to say? Uh, style is substance. That's not a hard concept, but you'd be surprised how difficult it is for some folks. Uh, okay, I think uh, that form is content. I think that the manner is the matter. Stein's song will endure because writing is about words as painting is about paint. Stein is an artist for the ages. She does not imagine that the self, in and of itself, is a very much interest. She knows that identity kills it. Of course, it is of interest to one's little dog. Our little dogs just adore us, but it is of no interest to the wider world. Unless... Unless it has style. Yes, who was the fellow who said style is substance? Right, Alfred North Whitehead. He's one of the three geniuses named by Alice B. Toklas, the great love of Gertrude Stein. She mentions this in the autobiography of Alice B. Toklas, written by Gertrude Stein, of course, there's a passage in which Alice describes hearing a bell ring three times in her life, once for each of the geniuses she met. Alfred North Whitehead once remarked that style is the ultimate morality. Now... That's a tough one. That's a hard one. I used to ask young students what the hell that means. How can style be moral or immoral? I got some of the most amazing answers. Gertrude Stein does not write about life's letdowns. She doesn't talk about things in terms of 
what do you call that, reductive cliches, the way other writers do. Here's what she writes about writing, about creative expression. Stein writes, quote, Disillusionment in living is the finding out nobody agrees with you, not those that are and were fighting with you. Disillusionment in living is the finding out nobody agrees with you, not those that are fighting for you. Complete disillusionment is when you realize that no one can, for they can't change. The amount they agree is important to you until the amount they do not agree with you is completely realized by you. And then you say, you will write for yourself and strangers. You will be for yourself and strangers. And this then makes an old man or an old woman of you. That's the end of Gertrude's uh, commentary on disillusionment. Yes, as I used to say to one of my dearest others, why? Why aren't you me? <laughs> Always a problem. Yes, otherism, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Now, if you study that passage, you might say that she's being reductive, that she's complaining that, you know, people don't, <laughs> don't go along with her program. Yes, her brother, Leo Stein, uh, he wrote that she just complained that the world doesn't understand her or that she's much too smart, too bright to hang out with ordinary mortals, uh, of course. When Gertrude writes, it's always a poem uh, in which she acknowledges the loss that wisdom brings. For me, Gertrude Stein will always be the first woman in space, the one who, more than any other, wrote it her way. For Gertrude Stein, a sentence is a part of speech. She said, Question marks are for branding horses. What is poetry? And if you know what poetry is, what is prose, she wrote. <laughs> Here is Gertrude's, uh, well, my favorite poem of Gertrude's. I give it to children because they understand it. I am rose, my eyes are blue. I am rose, and who are you? I am rose, and when I sing, I am rose like anything. Oh, yes. That's from uh, her wonderful, uh, what would you call it, essay, poem, called The World is Round. That's the one we read to the children. For Gertrude Stein, the rose of the world was woman. In her case, that woman was Alice B. Toklas, who wore black dresses and long earrings like a Spanish gypsy. Gertrude needed someone to say yes to her writing, to her life.
Alice said yes. And so the writing and the life continued. The three roses are the trinity. The original trinity rose is a rose, is a rose. They are the triple goddess, that ancient godhead of maiden, mother, crone, the mother of us all. They are the budding pink rose of youth, the full-blown red rose of womanhood, and the winter thorns on the rose of rebirth. Yes, that is a trinity. It's amazing. If you have a chance to read Barbara Walker's little book called The Crone, Woman of Age, Wisdom, and Power, I I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we have so much trouble with that word crone. Everyone thinks of it as so negative, you know. I think of it as fun. Let's see. This essay that I have in front of me here, it's an essay of my own, which dates back a ways. And I thought, uh, let me see, let me read you a little bit of it, just a little bit about Gertrude's, uh, well, Gertrude's history. I think um, there isn't a good biopic or film about Gertrude Stein, not yet, but let's hope there will be soon. Simone de Beauvoir once wrote that we are not born women, we become women. What she meant is that we learn subservience. Gertrude Stein was born a man, and she stayed one. Of course, she was not always happy and full of herself. She had to learn that. In the beginning, she had the conventional crisis early on in her psychosexual development. She fell in and out of love, as we all do, and she suffered from the isolation and confusion that a young woman, who was not only a lesbian, but a thinker, must suffer if and when she is to create her own world. She decided that, all things considered, the best plan was to become a genius. This was not in the cards in Baltimore and the other places she might have settled down, nor was it likely in the medical profession. <laughs> yes, she headed for that bohemian life in Paris, and basically she was a, a bourgeois, oh, bourgeoisie, right. Gertrude, you may not know or remember, or, uh, well, Gertrude was a Republican. Let's face it, I'll read you her essays on money sometime. <laughs> she found no contradiction between her financially secure background and the milieu in which she matriculated in Montmartre in Paris. She was so comfortable there, she was not as wealthy as some of her detractors assume, but she had what anyone needs, she had enough to live on. She was once asked why she wore the sandals and corduroy skirts, and she replied that, well, you could buy clothes or pictures. She preferred the pictures. 
All the evidence suggests that Stein's lifelong attachment to Alice B. Toklas was one of the great love affairs of the 20th century. Footnote here, a couple weeks ago I was reviewing um, a television show called Hemingway and Gellhorn about Ernest Hemingway's third wife, Martha uh, Gellhorn. And uh, it's on HBO, in case you want to check it out. And of course, the sad side of that uh, marriage love affair is that it uh, uh, ended badly. They had a nine-year marriage, and as Gellhorn says at one point, they were okay when there was a war on, when they were both out covering a war. She was a major war correspondent uh, in the middle of the 20th century. But she and Hemingway were never able to live happily uh, in a marriage, you know, in domestic comfort. They couldn't stand the boredom. Obviously, Gertrude and Alice made a, a very happy bourgeois couple. They um, they did pursue happiness and find it. Uh, Alice lived on for many years after Gertrude's death in 1946. She worked very hard until the end of her life in 1967 trying to promote and protect the literary heritage of the woman she loved. She had Gertrude's manuscripts stored at the Yale Library. She published them where and when she could, and she kept up an endless correspondence with editors and with the folks at the Oxford Library. It's certainly due to her efforts that Gertrude Stein's place in the history of letters, is secure. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, the difference in those two major affairs, you can read something about it in Hemingway's uh, long essay, A Movable Feast. In that essay, Gertrude describes the love between two women, and she tells Hemingway... <laughs> that the love between two men is more difficult. People may or may not agree uh, whether or not that's a gay issue or a gender issue, I leave to the individual. But um, it is an interesting thing to study. Uh, I think, well, I'm not one of those who tries to come to a conclusion Alice was only a few years younger than Gertrude, but I do think that their lives are a model for so many women uh, who try to, what is it, who try to raise love above the uh, sadomasochistic standards of our time. Alice was born in 1877, Gertrude in 1874 it was, that's it, it was... Gertrude Centennial when I got my M.A. in her works. Uh, and then, let's see, Alice lived on for 21 years. She was always planning a reunion with Gertrude, and she was buried next to Stein 
She even converted to Catholicism in hopes of uh, reaching out, finding Gertrude after death. Gertrude, on the other hand, was once heard to remark, When a Jew dies, he's dead. <laughs> Stein often visits me in my dreams. During a rough period in my life, I dreamt Gertrude Stein was clumping around out at the back of my home, wearing great fishing boots. Water was beating at the back door. The walls were giving way under the rust and the onslaught of my sea of sorrow. Why in hell do you go on living here, she yelled. <laughs> I told her I had nowhere else to go. She laughed and said, Learn to live underwater. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air next Tuesday with Oscar Wilde. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. can help keep free speech radio on the air. KPFA can accept your donated car, truck, or RV, running or not. We also take boats if they're on a trailer, motorhomes, farm equipment, motorcycles that are operational, and recreational vehicles like jet skis and snowmobiles. Call the Center for Car Donations at 877-411-DONATE to find out if your vehicle qualifies.